So that was really the moment I'm sitting in a cold jail cell. Externally, the world felt so raw to me. I felt like I was naked and getting kicked. All I could do, I just sat in my cell meditating. To, to get into grief, grief is messy and it's all over. You have to build a safe container. If we suppress our grief and our sadness and our anger, we also suppress our joy, our happiness, and our aliveness. That's it. Welcome to Going Within, the podcast where I, David Naylor, and our guests dive deep, sharing our transformative journeys with psychedelic therapy and other awakening experiences. As the founder of Within, a psychedelic assisted therapy clinic in Austin, Texas, I'm dedicated to helping others find profound healing and consciousness expansion using ketamine in a ceremonial approach. Join us as we explore the life-changing potential of going within and listening to inspiring stories of transformation from various life experiences and ceremonies. Thank you for honoring me with your presence and attention today, and I'm so grateful that you're here in all of your infinite wisdom. Now, let's go within. Welcome to the Going Within podcast. Today's guest is Joshua Winner. Josh is an entrepreneur, filmmaker, veteran, and emotional resilience expert. He has spent the last 20 years growing companies and maximizing human potential and affecting the lives of over 500,000 humans. There's not another person out there that I have met who has gone through this much grief, this much shedding, this much healing to awaken and transform. And now he does it for thousands of people all over the country. It is such an honor to have him on the show and let's dive right in. So Josh, like what, what does going within mean to you? I believe uh, everything naturally recurring in nature is both from a micro and a macro perspective. So if I want to change the out external, I have to change the internal. So for me, the practice of going there and being internal is really loving my little child, loving little my boy, and really my body. So for me, going within is the one person that'll be there with me my entire life. My ultimate life partner is my body. Mm. And the relationship between my soul mm -hmm. and my body should be the primary relationship in my life. Ooh. So my ability to go within and actually love the body like it loves me is uh, the ultimate goal of self-love. And if I can do that, I believe my body is my server and my servant, meaning it'll love me so much that it'll let me kill it. And I believe it also generates my reality. So being able to love the body like it loves me, it generates what I'm creating. And so that's the ultimate going within is loving the body like it loves me. What an honor. Getting to know you uh, this past year, uh, I was at Burning Man, actually, my first year at Burning Man. And it was the camp that you helped create or that you created, your family, I believe, the Wanderers. And I felt so connected to it because I felt like I've been a wanderer my whole life. You know, uh, you can't be found unless you're lost. And I just feel like I've been wandering and, and recently I've been found. And so to wind up at your camp and meeting you and to get to know your work, been such an honor to, to build a friendship with you and thank you for being here thank you brother likewise yeah, i catch you the instant romance yes man it's instant romance <laughs> and very similar stories very similar backgrounds yeah and like just from the recovery the healing the grief work the trauma work self-love boundaries codependency like oneness love i mean all of it right we can talk about so many things in this show i mean really what i want to jump into first though is with all of the things that have happened to your life, right? The Trump, the early childhood trauma that we can all, that we all go through, the grief, the losing of family members that I've lost in my family members. Like, tell us a little bit about like your journey of what happened to you and, and how you began your healing journey. Just speak to that a little bit. 
Yeah, I think I grew up more of like, you know, traditional masculine conditioning where yeah. it was sports, athletics, hunting, fishing, camping, yeah. you know, put it in a nice little box and that's right. go handle things. Yeah. And so that Not worked. the divine masculine, but the, what do they call that? Sh the, like shadow, I'd call shadow, shadow masculine. masculine. Yeah. yeah, like what, what, what we're taught. What we're taught, yeah. uninitiated men teach more uninitiated men of like, put your emotions in a box. Well, really, because it's it's about handling mission, and there's no room for emotions when you're on mission. But mm. I think we're at a different awareness now that we're coming back to. So, mm. traditional masculine man that would put things in a box, and that works really well for getting in shape and achieving in sports and achieving in career. Um, and it worked for a lot of death. I went through a lot of death early on. I had about 17 friends uh, death, whether through suicide, addiction, uh, accidents, murder, all kinds of messy stuff. But I was a guy that's like, I got you would show up, calm the scene down, and could really navigate comfortably in those scenes. And then it wasn't until 2008, my brother, we have a really, really tight family, really close, and my brother came to see me for Christmas and said, hey man, uh, things have gotten heavy. I'm now um, addicted to heroin, and it's gone to like shooting needles. And if I go back to Reno, I'm gonna die. I feel like I'm gonna die, so I need to come stay here with you. Because we were in, I was in Manhattan Beach on the water in this really, a beautiful spot and I just started a business I'd maxed out my credit cards at the time and um, I tried moving him in before and uh, didn't know how to take care of him and so I told him no mm. can't do it man like um you know I'm in this startup company and I can't take care of you and there's beer bottles just in a weekend all over the house and mm -hmm. I got computers all over my living room and so I said can't do it and uh, he went back to Reno and died three days later of a heroin overdose mm. what 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 experience did that create for you after that happened? Did you, was it, I, my, immediately I think, was it guilt and shame and pain and grief and all of it, but it, did you take that on? No, I mean, I did what I was taught, essentially. I, I cried when I found, I woke up to like 27 missed calls and knew, like I've never had 27 missed calls from my parents, so I just knew and started bawling before I even right. called them, called them. And then decided, like intention was like, I gotta, they can't take care of this, I gotta take care of them. So I literally put it in a box and flew home, led the service, took care of family. Push the feelings down. Yeah, just put them in a nice little box to like, I can't. Mm -hmm. like, Cause I that was it. your programming, that was that your was pattern. programming, like you take yeah. care of everybody else. So I flew back, I actually led the service cause I didn't trust anybody else to lead it. And I did a, I thought a good job of sharing his memories. I shared, I've had people laughing and like, I wanted to bring good, wanted to honor him. Um, and so I did that and then, um, yeah, it's funny, just random moment. I remember like in the, I was so ashamed of my emotions then. I remember like going in the shower the day of the service and getting on the ground, literally on the ground in the shower, begging like, please give me the faith to like lead the service mm. by thinking that, by not having any emotion. Like mm. how do I show the model, yeah. the example of like, so I could share his vibrancy in his life. And That's so how much it was ingrained. Don't feel feelings. That was ingrained. Please, God, don't let me feel feelings, right? So I can honor him. So, so you can, can honor him, right? To read the programming of that. Mm -hmm. So which I did. I mean, I had people laughing and telling his stories and, you know, um, and then I flew back and basically put that in a nice little box and went to building this business that I had. And we were just getting about success and like the 100K marks, 150 marks. And then 2008 hit and went from like this to oh, like yeah, I remember that. crash. The crash, the mortgage crash, the banking crash. Mortgage crash, business partner and I started fighting and then I came home one day and was like, oh, um, this business isn't working and found out him and my girlfriend were together. So basically one moment, found out my business partner and my girlfriend were behind my back um, and um, in one moment lost my business. My girlfriend 
um, they basically hijacked it and took off and moved to another place. And so then I went bankrupt because I had funded the business. So I lost all these things at once. And then I'll, it gets a little more piece to the story, but right. So that happens. So the thing that I, I'll get to that in a second. So this happens. And so I'm sitting there in the ashes. I don't sit in them though. I do what I've been taught. I handle the house. I give everything to charity. I said, I'm gonna clean myself with this energy. That's what move I got to, you know, move put it, on. Put it to the side, move on, move do on. the next project. And a couple of friends are like, hey, come get your mind off things and come to Tahoe for um, a celebration for like New Year's. And I went there and I, somehow my friend gave me some substance and I ended up putting it in my pocket and I ended up getting handcuffed and go to jail. So I'm sitting in jail. With well, all let's this. just throw jail on top let's of Let's just throw jail on top. So that was really the moment I'm sitting in a cold jail cell. And I remember I was so like raw that I was like, externally the world felt so raw to me. I felt like I was naked and getting kicked. And so I literally just was meditating. All I could do, I just sat in my cell meditating and that's all I could do. Cause I was like, I can't even see the external world. I'm so raw. And that's when I really hit me. I was like, oh, I chose this path over my brother. And it was the universe that had to sit you in a jail cell to actually, with a little substance in your pocket, to go to a jail cell because you were gonna go on to the next. It was the universe, got chills right now, co-conspiring with your higher self, with you, to get you to sit to feel. Because you weren't gonna feel that shit. I still didn't feel. <laughs> well, to even get you to realize yeah, it. But yeah, right? but like to, to get the impact of to, right. what happened. Isn't that incredible? So, all right, so this leads me to the next question. You've bottled all this up your whole life. I can't even imagine you then that energy is then misdirected into ma the, the, the false masculine, the, the dominance, the, the creation energy, all of that, right? What was it like for you to have these feelings all bottled up and pushed aside? What, was it, what did it feel like? Well, I couldn't feel. Okay, so, so what I was, was numb. I was numb. And so, and so at the time, um, I'd learned to put them so much in a box and dissociate. Now I have a lot more awareness. I was disassociated from childhood, so I couldn't feel. I'd learned this was armor. So for me, my armor was um, work. It was like, oh, something doesn't work. How quickly, it's like sports, you strike out. It's not, do you sit in your emotions? It's how quickly can you get up and go handle things? So that was my conditioning is not to feel. Instead, it's like, how quickly can I get back up and get back into action? I thought that meant I was resilient. So for me, that was it is like, no matter what happens, how quickly can I get back out in the world, back into success, whatever success looks like, was my way of being back into action. I've so. never had anyone articulate it this well. That is very well articulated. And I'm sure many men and women can relate to this. I know I can. Tell us what it was like when that bottle just exploded and when things just, when, when those feelings like when came I get out. I wanna know that experience. <laughs> what, when, tell me when and, and how and, and what. Uh, it takes a moment to get there. Um, okay. What I will say is I'll give the cliff notes to get there. Please. Help? So what I did at that point is that's when friends said, hey, plant medicine, like you're in pain. So I went into plant medicine. I started working with shamans. Um, I also did a bunch of different alternative therapies, sure. uh, psilocybin and a lot of stuff to try to, which did help a little bit. Um, the shaman gave me some forgiveness work. I had some compassion for my business partner and my ex. So it helped with those pieces. Um, and then I went to go work with Tony Robbins as a speaker and trainer and was like, let me use all the mindset tools on changing my mind, changing my state, changing my psychology. So I went really deep and thought I fixed it. And it wasn't until um, grief and, and um, death kept coming back as like my purpose. And I kept starting to help people. And I'd always done that. But 
it wasn't until like I get hit a couple more times, I'll just, I'll save you the heartache of yeah. this pattern yeah, playing yeah. out again and again and again, because when you're suppressing things and you just go try to build, you loop the same patterns and you loop it again and again. So I would loop it, fail, loop it, fail, loop it, fail. And then um, one day I was like, all right, God, I surrender. Like, what do you, what do you want me to do? And in that moment, in this deep surrender, I had this process I did where I was, I said, what am I actually gonna remember at the end of my life? I'm around death all the time. We're all going to death, we're all gonna die. And I sat down and I wrote, what am I gonna, what do I remember in my life? And I started to capture it and it was like, it was moments. It was like moments of a surprise I did for my mom or sacred moments of love or sacred moments of loss. And there was like these very specific moments I could remember, but I didn't remember any work, late work nights. I didn't, like all the work I'd been doing, I didn't have any of those. So I was like, oh, this is the actual game, interesting. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, I said, well, what is my actual gift? And the gift that it was said is you're naturally optimistic. Like I didn't, I came out of the out of the womb, like kind of seeing the, the glass half full. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, what would I do if I had no fear? And it said, you put it in the darkest place on the planet. And so I was like, death and grief. So I was like, oh. so I have to make my work around death and grief. But that's what actually led me to say, okay, I'll, I'll do this if I can create a little bright light in the darkest, deepest parts of people's lives. And I had no fear, that's what I do. So that became the process and so, uh, again, I'm just giving you little clip notes to get to there, but then that led me down a long journey of starting to get on grief forms, starting to volunteer at hospice, starting to do all this work around people dying, veterans that have nobody there, and I'd walk the hallways with them, and here I'm taking kind of the Tony Robbins approach and failing. Here I'm on grief forums trying to help people with these mindset tools and failing. And so I was like, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. And so that's when I started a documentary, started interviewing grief and trauma experts. Wow. And then along that process, trying to help other people, I finally realized one day, like, oh, I have unresolved grief. And so that was really the awareness. First, I needed like the cognitive awareness. And it was a, right. a moment when a mentor and he said, this is kind of the moment that hit me is he said, um, we're broken and whole. Because most of personal development is like, we're whole, we're whole, yeah, yeah. we're avoiding yeah, feeling right. broken. Yeah. And instead the duality of like heartbreak means like when you fall deeply in love with someone, a belief, a dream, our body, a vision, our childhood, our innocence, there's so many things we fall in love with and then it's taken from us and we're heartbroken. We're like deeply heartbroken, it feels broken. And it's in that accepting the heartbreak is actually what start in the ability to know we're whole and heartbroken and that full acceptance of the duality is actually what brings us back into wholeness. So that one wow. nugget, I needed the awareness from my cognitive brain to get it Correct. before my body had permission to go into it because I couldn't yeah. ignore this truth. It was like, right, like a seed right into the heart, like boom, right? So that was the moment that allowed me to open to then start the journey to actually start to feel. You, you and I have such a similar, similar journey, years. 2008, my father passes away. Five-year relationship, I find out she's with her boss. And then my business cr just crumbles. I was in real estate, bankruptcy, all 2008, grieving my dad, moving to Austin, brand new. Just And, and it's such a similar path. And I remember that was our, one of our connections. You know, one thing that I learned was you're nailing it with the cognitive. And, and it was like, name it to tame it. Okay, I had to name it to tame it. I had to understand what was going on for me. Then that opened up the space to be able to feel it 
to heal it, right? Feel it to heal it. And that's when the emotions just started feeling safe to come out because I could understand it. So there's something to that. There's something to like understanding it cognitively, the patterns, the process, how I was programmed. Oh, okay, putting the dots together, naming it to tame it, and then being able to, then the feelings can come and we can feel to heal. Would you, re- would you say that resonates? Totally. Yeah. Totally. And, and, I, and I'll also say when you're saying that, what came up for me is, because I work with a lot of like Navy SEALs, Green Berets, yeah. like who yeah. are the, the, the so tough you, guys, quote mm-hmm, unquote, that mm-hmm. have a really tough time. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that I say usually to try to overcome that old stigma. One, all ancient warrior cultures had resiliency practices, which involved getting emotional to come back into life. Because it was looked at that when you lose a piece of your soul, you need to get that back in order to come back into the tribe. So Spartans, samurai, all ancient warrior cultures had practices, regulation, purification, reintegration practices to get reintegrated. So all warriors did it, we just lost it. And then two, like sitting with your emotions, if you can feel, because there's a lot of men who don't know how to feel because they're frozen like I was. But if you can feel, what's easier? What's more courageous? If, If a strong, powerful man or woman will do what's courageous, what's harder? When you feel something put it in a box, actually going in and feeling that and getting messy with it and like feeling the anger and it's like, it's much harder to feel out of control, to feel um, uncontained, to like let this messy stuff move through you than it is to put it in a box and function. So I'd say strong, courageous men and women will do what's hard, so that's harder. So then usually when I say that, there's no, <laughs> at my point, it's like, okay, now my brain has permission to go into what, because I want to do the hard things because I identify as a strong or powerful man and woman. So you can't escape that frame, right? It's like. <laughs> well, and we both got into what, what's now called men's work. There's men's work, there's grief work, there's healing shame work. And you, you see companies and, and, and communities like Sacred Sons and Mankind Project. And there, there are all kinds of communities now that we're going out as men and being able to go into a safe space and feel our feelings grieve the things we never got to grieve, whether it's for our ancestors, our fathers, our parents, our inner child. Like we're learning to grieve. We're learning to let out our anger. One of the biggest things for me was getting in touch with my anger. Like I was so afraid of my anger that I was just a a people pleaser. Don't rock the boat. Tell you what you want to hear. You know, void conflict because I didn't know how to express my anger. So then guess what? It came out sideways it started coming out and snapping on people. It came out in road rage. It came out leaking out sideways. When I was able to go into a container, like the work you lead, and and be able to get in touch with that anger and feel it and let it out. I remember these men, they would say, they would, they would, they would somehow help get it out of me and I carried five men across the room in a process, a men's work process. And now I can be angry and feel it and not be afraid of it. I don't have to tiptoe around it. I don't have to hide from it. I don't have to people please. I can just be like, I'm angry right now and not directed at anyone. Does that resonate? Yeah, um, when I was interviewing David Kessler, he said, anger is the bodyguard to sadness, to fear and sadness. Wow. And so um, a lot of times I find there's two primary patterns. There's the pattern of like the man who gets really angry and, and he offloads <clears throat> his anger everywhere. Yeah. And there's the pattern of the man who suppresses the anger. And with the suppressant, if we can't access it, those are usually the like similar. You and I had the same pattern. Yeah. Nice guys. And then you blow. Like yeah, you're well because it's like a pressure cooker. Right. Whatever you suppress. Yes. It builds and builds and then it offloads where you're least expect it. Usually on the people we love. Yes. And then I would hurt relationships. So I've had. If you're watching out there and we've had a relationship and I, my anger, I apologize to you. Uh, you know, and and it's something that I own in in that I, I lost relationships because of it. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the other other thing that will happen is on the flip side, um, not knowing how to contain it, it burns everything down. So a lot That's of times right. we'll, right. rather than, and this is what's interesting, rather than face and do the work to feel and move that energy, we'll yeah. burn everything down and self-sabotage everything because it's safer than feeling that. Correct. Because then once our anger comes out unhealthily, uh, in, in an explosion because we've been bottling it, then we experience, at least for me, that's when I experience this shame that I wasn't processing, the guilt that I wasn't processing. So then I would get eaten up by the shame and guilt, and then I would go out and use something to numb that, and it was just a spiral. And I called it the shame spiral, and we was learned about it, yeah. And so once I was able to get in touch with the anger, the grief is underneath the anger. Well, guess what's underneath the grief from what I found? Joy. Joy bubbles up from the grief. I remember, you know, when going through my kind of religious phase in my life and I was really into, you know, just worship and love and God and church. And, and I remember reading a Psalms that said, God loves a broken and contrite heart. And when I got in touch with that, when my heart was broken and I can experience being a broken heart and grieving, there's so much joy and love that comes through that process. And it's, it's fascinating. Is that yeah, well, just find? to go deeper into that, 100% in agreement, um, just a slightly different frame, but same, same concept yeah. is two things. One, if we suppress our grief and our sadness and our anger, we also suppress our joy, our happiness, and our aliveness. So a lot of men, women experience it too, but a lot of women that, that are like, I just feel neutral, or their spouses are like, I can never feel you, or why aren't you giving me your feeling? Yeah. It's because they're not going, I call it the descent, they can't experience the ascent. So uh, really grief work, uh, or allowing yourself to somatically go and be with the grief, or the mm -hmm. sadness, or the anger, descend. When you go into that, you get back, what we're doing is we're descending to the heart. That's it. So what we're doing is we're going from the head, yep. and if we suppress this, we're armored up to here, so we lose the body, we lose our ability <coughs> to feel life, experience all of our senses, all the subtleties that make life beautiful, and what we do is instead we end up living from the head, we're surrendered here. So life becomes dull. I, I use a metaphor to say, imagine like back in the day when you had armor mm -hmm. and you had a helmet mm -hmm. and you had a little slit in your helmet and you had all this armor. And then I use this metaphor usually for like police or fire sure. or military, but imagine you walk up the door and how do you open the door with armor on? What can you feel? And then your spouse comes up and gives you a hug, your kids come up and hug you, but how much can you actually feel them and how much can they feel you through the armor? And then you go out and watch a sunset, it's like, but if you could take the armor off, you can now feel sensation, you can now feel so much more. So when you're able to go in and feel the grief and the sadness and the messiness, we're in our heart and we're present and now we're like, oh, I can feel joy and laughter and happiness and aliveness. So it really- Being. Yeah. Just being. pure being, pure yeah. essence. Because you're in the moment. Because when we're in that place of armor that you use and we haven't expressed our anger, we haven't expressed the grief underneath the anger, if we haven't expressed the anger, and then the, the sadness that's tapped, and then of course underneath that is the shame and the spiral underneath that when it leaks out, then what are we doing? We're numbing. And how do we numb? How did I numb? I'll just speak for myself. I played a lot of fantasy football. I um, watched porn. I um, would date, over date, swipe, swipe, swipe. Um, I'd overwork. Um, so, so numbing just doesn't have to be about drugs and alcohol, right? Because I was actually sober doing all this in my, in my trauma work. I was still sober. And, and so it was just interesting how we can numb in so many different ways. Yeah, same, me too. Yeah. So I'm on the same boat, you know, whether it be porn, sex, dating, alcohol, food, yeah. 
Right. Gambling. Gambling. Poker, online poker. I remember that was a phase. But yeah. Helping other people. Oh, dude. Helping other Gym people is a big one. Wanting to help and rescue everyone. Most coaches and therapists, a lot of them wow. are Wow. Coaches and therapists. They're work, going to school for it. Bless else. their heart. But they're, they're in almost in that pattern yet. So it's not until we can really tap into expressing and feeling our anger and our grief, which, which leads me to this question, Josh. Where can people go right now who, who are watching, listening, like that are like, that resonates. Where can they go? There's not a lot of spaces. I mean, I think more and more coming up, I'd say right now, breath works on the mend. Anything that gets you in the body. Yeah. Like if I'm just speaking broadly, yeah. like anything that gets you in the body. So um, somatic-based practices, regulation practices, which are all body-based practices that get you in the body. Um, you know, come to a somatic grief circle here, what we're doing at the Within Center, you know, and walk through a process of getting into your body with a group of people so you're not alone um, right. doing it. So I'd say we're at a, my at least belief is that we're now in a consciousness that people are ready and aware. Because um, I see breathwork all over the place popping up, which yeah. that seemed a little scary before. Yeah. And so yeah. I think now we're at a time where um, there's a lot of ways to do it. For me, big picture, there are some natural ways for people that are against substance to get into the grief. A lot oh, of it totally. are somatic based, yeah. which basically somatic means body. So you're able to use the body through just simple, they're actually very basic, simple breath, simple movements. And everything's stored in the center column. So when we're getting the grief work, it's all like... It's right here. It's all here. It's right here in the center So we're doing movements and we're doing sounds and movements. A lot of the sounds bring it up and we're basically going into it and it literally just moves. And so when you can learn to do it, a couple other pieces. Um, a lot of the relationship dysfunction is unhealthy attachment, meaning there's whole attachment theory. We didn't attach to our parents when we were young, so we attached to external things. Yep. So... This is a good practice if you start to become aware that's what you're doing, looking for external validation. Wow. It's another way of numb. Wow. You have to notice when you're feeling these uncomfortable emotions and learn to do the somatic grief practices and it'll get you back in your body and you can self-regulate. So you can self-regulate, you can self-attach versus externally attach. You can feel love and joy and aliveness. So there's a lot of things that can happen, um, but it's getting in the body. If, like just where can they go? They can go in the body. Yeah. It's one thing we do at the Within Center is that, you know, people will come in and they'll, we'll do an assessment. And like a lot of the times we find it's pretty much a lot of this. I mean, we're all different and unique, but we're also very similar where there's untapped anger, untapped grief, untapped guilt, untapped. And then, and then they've been on medications or whatever to suppress that. And then they're numbing with other things. So it's a whole big picture of they, they then go into a blindfold psychedelic session we have a guide that then they hold an intention. My intention is to heal. My intention is to get in touch with my anger. My intention is to grieve. My intention is to feel. And it's a whole program around like not just the psychedelic therapy, right? Because you said you can get into a breath work. You can get into so many things. But then we have breath work classes. And then we have your somatic grief work class. And we have therapy. We have coaching, things like that. Um, tell us a little bit about your somatic grief work because that's what I, I got to experience it in our, in our group that we're in. Tell, tell the viewers about the work that you do. Yeah, I'd say um, I'm really, I feel like I'm a steward. Like I'm kind of stewarding and allowing people to um, steward them into their body yeah. through some simple practices. The, the general concepts are one, I like community because we are formed in relationship, we are wounded in relationship, and I believe we need to heal in relationship. So mm -hmm. part of healing is being witnessed together. Um, so creating really safe containers, uh, the container is really important so that you have a really safe space to, uh, you know, masculine build container for the feminine expression. The so, nervous system almost needs to feel that safety. That's what I'm saying. So, so our to to get into grief, grief is messy and it's all over. 
you have to build a safe container. So How do you that, do that? How do you build a safe container? So one, if somebody's doing it at their house, they could create a little special space with nobody around. They could light some sage of Palo Santo. They could put crystals, like how you, this is formed or how I have my, like, so either create a space on your own or join a space where you trust the facilitator who's already created a safe container for you to then be in that expression. So think of it as you need a safe place to be expressive. Otherwise, Again, it comes out sideways, otherwhere else, or it comes out through numbing. So we're what's, first creating a safe space. What's a red flag for people if they don't feel safe? Like, wh what could you tell someone is like, hey, if this happens, then it's probably not safe. Uh, good question. Um, typically, safe energy feels safe. Again, in your body, your body will relax a little bit. Um, if you're on tense and you challenge somebody, um, they'll be really genuine and compassionate and caring. Like the inner, like I trust, I, tr I track the energetics. Yeah. The energetics is gentle. Easiest way to say it. if it's directive or persuasive or pushing you somewhere is to me a red flag. If Correct. it's like if it's like, hey, check in. If at any time you don't feel comfortable, you can leave. Or like they're literally make you're always in control. So to me, that maybe is the primary areas. You're always in control. They put it back on you. They support you to do the work. They're not telling you, directing you, influencing you. None of that. They're literally creating the space for you to heal with yourself. Uh, you just nailed it because that's what I see as well. And, you know, speaking vulnerably, before I could get to a place of healing my own nervous system and feeling safe and belonging and love and here, that was only when I could then give it away and hold, right? Because for a long time, I was the one that was trying to uh, persuade or help. And people can feel, I think we can feel, since we can listen to our intuition, because our body knows, our intelligence of our body, that we can feel if someone's being projecting their own shadow onto us. But if someone's done enough shadow work to then be in the moment, be in love, not trying to do or force and just hold, you can feel it. So I think that's what I would tell people as well. It's just tune in and see if you actually feel safe in that person's presence. Yeah, I love that because we're, we're only as good as the work we've done. Yeah. And it is something you see a lot of coaches, which I didn't do in my past. I, was, I felt like an imposter a lot because I was an imposter, yeah. right? So I think that's part of the healing journey is there are phases you go through until you learn Oh, unless I'm doing the work regularly, I don't know how to see it in other people. And then when you do it regularly, our efficacy is in how we show up. Literally, right now, every moment, we're showing our efficacy in the practices we do and what we do privately. People can feel it if they're That's in their nervous system. And so empowering people to get into your nervous system, you either get a yes, I feel safe because somebody's presence makes me still feel safe and or I feel constricted or I want to run or something doesn't feel safe, so trust it. Oh, man. Why... Why do you love this work? Why do you love doing what you do? That's a deep question. Um, I think it's twofold. One, um, I tried to figure it out and couldn't, humbly. And so I've chosen to give myself to source. And, um, and I look at it like I'm God's warrior. That's literally my, I'm like, hey man, you, you ripped everything apart that I wanted. And so that comes from like a humbleness. Job. Yeah, it's like, hey, everything I wanted, I haven't been able to make happen, like right. humbly. And it's mm -hmm. sad, and I have a lot of grief around it. And so it's like, all right, then how do you, where do you want me to lead? I've had a lot of death. I had a lot of loss. And so it's like, all the things I wanted to try to manifest, I couldn't. So it's like, all right, how can I serve you? How do you, if you've weaponized me as a warrior, how do you want me to serve? And I'll follow. And so that's, I look at what is creating consciousness. What is creating the trees, the life, the nature, the bodies? Like, what's the origin point? How do I serve that consciousness? And... um so I'd say that's number one. And then number two, when I do, I feel at peace. Mm -hmm. So it's less on, and when I don't, and when I kind of control it, I feel constricted and I feel controlling and nothing happens. And when I go back to that, 
it feels at peace. So it's more for me wanting to be at peace than it is anything and more to trust the process. And then three, the, I guess the benefit is it gives meaning to the pain. It gives some meaning to the pain that I've been through in life and or the meaning to the pain and suffering, purpose. It gives purpose like, ah, oh, I would still want it back and um, I can see that all the suffering I've been through is going to a purpose because I'm able to sit with people where nobody else is. I'm able to navigate deeper and be with there through, and people are like, I finally feel seen through some really horrific shit. And in those moments, it's because of the pain that I've had to go through is why I've had to open, it's forced me to open. So I think in some of those moments, and we've done a lot around suicide prevention, and I've, I've heard a lot of like, you saved my life. And mm -hmm. I don't think it's me, I kind of give it to source, but I've listened. And I know I like, okay, I did listen, and I've still took the the actions, but I get a lot of that, and I can feel really um, blessed. But it's it's tricky, man. I got to say, there's like a, I'm grateful, and I have to continue to live a life of service, which has been hard too. It's mm -hmm. like I couldn't. I wanted wanted the sexy, cool entrepreneurial thing. That's what I wanted, and instead, this is my past. So I've had a lot of conflict with source. Like, why do I have to do the grief? It's part? almost like shedding. You've had to go through your own personal shedding. I have to keep shedding. Like, this is my path. Like, I want this thing. Yeah. You want me to do this thing that man, everybody I want runs the from? Yacht, the Lambo, the love, the <laughs> exactly. come on, all this life. Exactly. Out here. And I have yeah. to keep surrendering. But when I do, and I'm just open, things flow. And I can see the synchronicities, I get alignment and connection with a brother like you that we connect really deep. Yeah. So when my ego or my head or my desires get out of the way and I can just humbly be like, all right, um, that all falls away. Because that was my own inadequacies. My totally. own inadequacies and stories, I wanted all these things to have, which are well, really, you can't take with you anyway, let's right? Let's talk about this. Growing <laughs> up in the 80s, yeah. what did we see? We saw, we saw uh, Superman and He-Man, and we saw the, the 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 successful the baseball players, the football players, all making all this money. The magazines, MTV, like we were almost programmed to think that's what we need to be happy. We we need this out here to be happy. The money, the success, the fame, the status, the parties, right? And I was programmed by that. It lured me away, and. A very similar story for so long i wanted all those things and yet here i am today at 43 and i get to say that what's important is the relationships in my life the presence in my life the joy in my life the love in my life the connection with my daughters with my partner with my friends um my my, my fun and pick playing pickleball i don't care what i drive anymore i don't need to have that you know uh sport like you know, Corvette or the Lamborghini. I don't need to have the private plane because for a long time I did think that's, that's what I thought was going to make me happy. Happiness is connection for me now in love and just following what I love. Like I love playing pickleball. I love spending time with friends. I love going to good restaurants. It's just following my bliss. Like Joseph Campbell said, I just get to follow whatever I love. Yeah, I'm finding the same thing. I'm finding that it's, it's shifted quite a bit from what oh. I thought. And I think it's also helped because I've coached a lot of really successful entrepreneurs with unlimited same. amounts of money. And I'm like, Oh, like the money didn't change it. They still have the same challenges. It's now bigger challenges because they they have harder blocks because they're like, so so. really when you get down, it's the really basic, simple things of like going through a walk, connection to nature, connection to families, connection to friends, 100%. like appreciating life, gratitude for the really basic things that give you joy. And right? you know what's interesting? I don't know if you saw this, but we're, we, we work with, you know, people who are wealthy and have money and have spent their whole life making money. What I find is interesting is that they just keep giving it away. 
because they made it all thinking they were going to feel something, but now they're still numb. They're still not finding that love, purpose, joy in the moment of aliveness. And they're like giving their money away to their friends. They're like, you know, spending it like they, it's, it's not the money they spent. And like, for me, I spent my whole twenties in early part of my thirties trying to get that. So man, wow. Um, tell us about how people can find you and your work. Like how can people find you? Yep, I'm uh, joshuawenner.com, just J-O-S-H-U-A-W-E-N-N-E-R.com. I'm also Joshua Michael Wenner mm-hmm. on uh, like Instagram, Facebook, those things. And those yeah. are probably the easiest ways. And I'm in men's work. I have a men's community called K4. K4. Um, I help first responders, fire, police, veterans, and valor, resiliency. Mm-hmm. Um, I do one-on-one with entrepreneurs, both men and women. And then I just started working with women. So I have a women's retreat I'm doing, and I'm doing more women's work. So, you know, more embodying different parts of self and um, practicing rearranging the protective sides to, like, aligning them with our higher yeah. higher aspects. Yeah, because, you know, to learn, to, to be with you and to know the stripes that you've had to go through, the shedding processes, the death processes, the releasing I don't think I've ever met anyone who's had to shed as much and to then have you emerge into the next version of yourself, the, the vibration, the butterfly from the cocoon, right? Mini cocoons. Like what an honor it is to, to do work with you and have been impacted by your work and that people can actually, you know, come and sit with you and have their lives can be completely changed. Thank you, brother. And it's an honor to sit with you. I love the work you're doing in the world. I love what you've created. That's why it's a really good synergistic flow to be, Doing similar work, similar alignment, similar yeah. values, and wanting to serve in a similar path. Yeah. Like we've got, we both gotten here through a lot of humbleness, a, a lot, lot of shedding, a lot of shedding. You know, like a lot of. Here. I've lost so many best yeah. friends. To lost my father. I've lost, I lost a lot of people as well. I don't, you know, I don't know about you, but the greatest joy that I get, other than like just seeing my daughters every day, and that medicine. But the greatest joy is seeing someone go from coming in completely disjointed and disconnected and overweight, inflamed to being, going through the process to being awakened and healed and alivened in love and fully in the moment and in those transformations. I don't know if there's a, there's a better joy in seeing that. And that's why I do this work. Is that something you find in your work? Yeah, it's deeply fulfilling. I mean, I, I mean, I, got, I guess I kind of skipped the part of when you asked me about it, it's deeply fulfilling to watch people take charge of their life and to like literally just make some small adjustments yeah. and they're going from living a, like a, a an, an emotionally imprisoned life yeah. to like a deeply deeply fulfilling life when they realize they have control they have control to be like oh my emotional state and presence dictates how my spouse responds to me how my kids respond to me so them being able to do that they're like oh my my son now wants to spend more time with me my, my spouse is like oh you see me like so being able to give support them and giving the gift is valuable, but I guess for me, I still have like, uh, they do it. So mm-hmm. there's a part of me that's like, I'm honored to it, but they're still doing the work. So I wanna, it's like, uh, I try to be as neutral as I can. Yeah. So it's like, I'm honored by it, but it's also they're doing the work. So I'm proud of them for doing the work. But it's like, when I was younger, I think I took more credit. So I try to be really <coughs> neutral with like, I'm serving, I'm out of the way, they're choosing to or not, and, and, and I'm really grateful. And honored when they get to do it, I get to celebrate with them, you know? You know, it's it's interesting you say that because for me, I have a, a different perspective now. To me, um, someone explained it to me, a teacher explained it to me like this. Imagine the Big Bang, the universe is like a piece of, of big glass and it just 
breaks and it shatters. There are big pieces, there are little pieces, there are specks, and we all represent, our souls represent the coming back together of the glass, right? And that my glass is touched with however many pieces of glass, and those are the souls that you actually meet because we're all one. So it's, a, it's, a, it's my story. This is how I come up with my cosmology of how my life is, but like all the people in my life that, are, that I've impacted that through, they're impacting me. So for example, I have clients that have come here and lives have been transformed, awakened, healed. Well, then, then they come into my life and they become family. And then maybe I'm struggling now and now they're helping me uh, learn something. And, and the way I relate it is that if you ever ran track, like you have the person that runs out with the baton first, and then that's me. I'm, I've always been a trailblazer, pioneer. I'm running out with the baton. I've always been a sprinter. And then I pass the baton to the next person and then they go, but then I'm tired. And then I'm freaking worn out. And then I'm maybe, you know, maybe struggling in an area. And then they come back around and they're able to help me. And it really is just, we're all one supporting and loving each other. And uh, we just, we all have different seats on the bus. But Beautiful. That, that's I how love I that metaphor. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. Really appreciate you being on this this podcast and in this show and whatever this is. But uh, it's really an honor to have you here, man. And I love you. And you know, I can't wait for you to come back again. Thanks, brother. Love yeah. you too, man. It's been an honor. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you for joining us today on the Going Within podcast. The Going Within podcast is sponsored by Within Center. Within is a ceremonial psychedelic assisted wellness center in the heart of Austin, Texas. Discover more about our transformative practices at within.center. If you enjoyed this episode, we kindly invite you to follow us and share your thoughts with a review. Going Within is hosted by David Naylor, production led by Patrick Stanger, and filming and production by Rare Media. Please note the statements made on Going Within have not undergone evaluation by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Within, we strongly recommend consulting your healthcare provider for personalized guidance on the diagnosis and treatment of any disease or condition.